Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dishes and Dimes. My name is Katie Heindel and I'm joined today by my co-host Sandy and by our very special guest, a writer at Bleacher Report, a podcaster at The Athletic, uh, and our friend Mo DeKeel. Mo, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Good. Hanging in. <laughs> Surviving. <laughs> well, it's cold where you guys are. Here it dips to 60 and I'm like, yo, where's my winter coat? So oh. out here in LA, it's a little bit of a different deal. <laughs> that must be nice. I'm so jealous. Oh, that must be nice. Every time somebody's like, Mo, would you ever move? No. <laughs> Don't do it. It's not worth it. <laughs> no intentions. <laughs> no. Uh, I should clarify for we're on video. We're not going to use the video, but I should clarify for our listeners that Mo's adorable dog is on his lap. Sandy had an adorable dog also on her lap. I feel very left out. <laughs> uh, we got to coordinate it next time. Yeah, we do. Sure. We do. <laughs> <laughs> I figure people can't get mad at me if I have the dog in my lap. That's... <laughs> Why would we get <laughs> mad at you? <laughs> might say some horrible things about the Raptors because uh, they might deserve it. You know, oh, I mean, true. I didn't think I'm about honest. That. I'm honest. And not everybody <laughs> likes honesty. That's just the way I kind of look at it. Valid point. It's a good point. Yeah. Actually, Mo, I think like I, I was trying to remember if I've ever heard you um talk about a team uh in any like you're the, probably just like the most unbiased, just kind of like, you know, ambivalent, very even-headed. Uh, sports media person I know. Can you send that to my group chat? Because they seem to think <laughs> I'm a fan of some teams. And then it's just like, and then they're like, oh, we got Mo's X and X. And I'm like, when did this happen? <laughs> I don't even know what I would say is your team. Well, because in the group chat, like I was, there was a while where I was pretty excited about Philadelphia and the promise with the Sixers. So they're like, oh, Mo's a Sixers fan. And that became a, a thing. And I'm like, no, not real. Just they're very interesting. And they give right. me a lot of content. So, yes. <laughs> all right. Yeah. That's fair. They do give us all the gift of content. Um, I'll give the Sixers that much. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but I wanted to start um, with a piece you wrote for Bleacher Report. Um, it was something that you and I had talked a little bit offline about just with certain coaches. Um, and if people haven't read it yet, you should read it. It's very short and sweet and super concise and like on the level, just like Mo. Uh, it's called Scrutinizing Every NBA Ho- uh, Head Coach After One Month. It is exactly what the title suggests. <laughs> like literally. Yeah. <laughs> the headline nailed it. They nailed yeah, it. They, they nailed they, Great they title. The headlines and they nailed it. So. <laughs> You give a very, I like it because it's very balanced. You give kind of a, a one positive and then maybe something for them to work on in case these NBA coaches uh, happen to, you know, read up on it, which maybe they are. Some of them could use the pointers, I think. If they are, I expect the check mailed to me. Um, <laughs> if they take my advice, I, that's a consultant's fee. Please, please, uh, you know, Venmo me. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to ask you about a couple um, and Sandy can add if if she's got some too, Uh, but just the ones that have kind of stuck out in my mind this season so far. First, Frank Vogel uh, and the Lakers. Do you think Frank Vogel is the real deal in terms of uh, a coach who is actually coaching a LeBron team? (laughs) (laughs) I, I actually do, but I think he's getting an unfair shake here. One, he didn't put this roster together. And, I, and, and a lot of times it doesn't sound like he had any say in who put this roster together. And this is the third year in a row the Lakers have completely kind of changed the makeup of their team. I mean, if you think about it, they won a championship and then just started making moves and, and brought in a whole new cast of characters. Then obviously we saw how last year went, changed it up again. So for the third year in a row, there's no real continuity 
for him to really kind of build upon and things like that. And I think, you know, the roster itself is just bad. It's not a great match, you know, with, with the, what you need, not a lot of defenders. So there's not something he can really, people are like, well, what can the Lakers do on defense? I'm usually like, just pray they miss. I don't, I don't have much of a, you know, like some, they don't have the tools they need. And then offensively, it's just a complete mess with everything like that. I think he's a really good coach, but I think he's in a very unfortunate situation that might end up seeing him become the scapegoat, but uh, it's, it's just the, the talent he has and the stuff he was given. It's, it's not, I don't know what coach could do anything with it. It's fair, but I do think I have some um, extremely biased leftover criticism last year for the fact of his underutilization uh, or non-utilization of, at all of Mark Gasol. So I was a bit curious to see how he kind of toggled things this season. Yeah, the, the Marcus all stuff just kind of never really worked out. I thought Mark would have been a bigger, you know, fit for the team. I thought he'd gotten more minutes kind of playing at him in the high post and, and letting LeBron play off of him a little bit. I thought that was kind of the perfect fit. I was really excited for Marcus all to be a Laker for that, just for the what we could see on in terms of the IQ level. But it just never panned out. And I, I mean, I still don't know really what the answer was, why he didn't get as many minutes as I thought he would. Um, a, a bias, maybe a heavy, heavy bias. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, I'm, I guess it remains to be seen. You, you raise some good points there just in terms of the continuity thing. Um, I feel like that is something that I don't necessarily give the Lakers a lot of credit for because you do see them turning over, um, personnel a lot, uh, on that team, but usually that is at the behest of their biggest star <laughs> and wanting to turn over <laughs> right. the team. So they're kind of setting themselves up for a really weird Catch 22. Um, another coach, this is like kind of another cursed, uh, potentially cursed position for any coach to be in, but is Willie Green and the Pelicans. Um, do you think, like, how does this vote for him? I mean, it's so hard to judge Willie just off of the, this whole team is really dependent on one guy and that guy has yet to play it the season, you know? And, and so looking at everything with Zion and, you know, him kind of just, we found out training camp, right? Started training camp. Oh, Zion's going to be out to the regular season and or for the start of the regular season. Hasn't shown up yet. I don't think he's playing until 2022. And I think it's just tough to kind of put your first time head coach, not just the first year head coach, first time head coach in this situation. And then for us to kind of just think like, oh, well, they're three and 15 as a, at the time of we're uh, recording and go like, you know, this is just poor coaching. I go like, again, this is one of those things where this is just bad roster management as well. Like never understand why they really were willing to try to trade Lonzo ball as early as last season, you know, and, and, and let him walk when I thought he was a perfect fit with Zion, you know, um, they bring in Devonte Graham. I'm not very, I don't think he's all that good. It, it, it's just like everything they've kind of done since then. You know, I like Jonas Valanciunas. They brought him in. He's been very helpful for them. I don't know what it looks like when uh, Zion comes back. But it's just like a weird roster moves. And then I just look at it for w Willie and I just go like, I don't know what he's supposed to do. You know, Brandon Ingram missed time during the season and things like that. They've just been off to like a real rough start. I, I don't even, I couldn't even tell, evaluate him as a coach because I don't know what, what he has. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a rough position for like a first time head coach to be. And I mean, in, in some ways it's like maybe the silver lining is you've got such a clean slate, but I would actually say that about most organizations, not necessarily uh, the Pelicans where it seems like, you know, for years they've kind of been dogged by whether it's like rumors or kind of outright criticisms of just like the management of, you know, everything from the health of their players to again, what you're saying to like the competency around trades and who they're bringing in and why, you know, and how their lineups kind of all work together. So again, a little bit of a cursed, a little bit yeah. of a cursed position I feel for Willie Green, but I'm curious to see what he does there because they deserve, I mean, they kind of deserve a good break. I mean, Zion for sure does. Yeah. I mean, they, it would just be nice to see Zion healthy for 65, 70 games at, at, at one point here relatively soon. I know we've passed this, the chance he'll get 70 games this season, but you know, it, it, it would be nice to see him back on the court. Cause when he's on the court, he's a real force, right? Like he's 63 or 64% field goal percentage or whatever absurd number it was last season. I think it's just everything you have 
Like you're building around him. And when he's not there, it's just like, you're screwed. I don't know what else you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Sandy, do you have any before I get to my last head scratcher? I mean, like I'm thinking about the East as a whole. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting because uh, we've noticed that teams that we weren't necessarily expecting to be at the top of the Eastern Conference Finals there, like Miami, the Bulls. Somebody needs to still explain to me how the Bulls are (laughs) number one in the East at this point. Um, And then you have your middling teams where you didn't necessarily expect them to be there, like a 76ers, like a Bucks, um, like a Hawks. Um, So I'm kind of like, what is going on? The East is a little bit on crack right now, and I don't understand why why this is happening. Like, explain. <laughs> well, one, it's exciting. It's great, right? Like, the East is just, we kind of knew going into the season, the Eastern Conference got better. Whatever you thought about the Bulls' changes in the offseason, they added more talent to their roster. You're like, okay, they're better. Uh, we knew what the Bucks were. We know what the, the the nets were, and then we found out about the whole unvaxxed one. But then it was a whole different, you know. So to kind of change things a little bit, Washington has been a huge surprise for me. I didn't expect them to be as good as they've been. Miami, I think we we kind of thought like, hey, sorry, um, the dog started doing stuff. Um, <laughs> Miami, we thought, you know, with the move of Kyle Lowry and things like, hey, they're going to be a really good team. I thought they'd be a better playoff team than a regular season, but they've gotten a great start from the season from Tyler Hero. So that's kind of helped them push those things over the top. And then when we're looking at the teams kind of in the middle, like the Bucks started the season and they're still not even fully healthy. You know, Brooke Lopez is, is out, but you know, they started the season game one, they were healthy. That was it. After that, they lost Chris Middleton to COVID for a long period of time that Drew Holiday was out from time to time. Giannis missed a game or two with his sprained ankle. Like they were just not healthy. Like for me, I'm like, this is the team. I think the Bucks will, will start to rise and, and rack up wins as they get healthier. Um, Philly, again, like good, they're a good team. And then Embiid goes down with COVID and it's like, okay, well, it's similar to the Pelicans with the Zion. His team is built around him. When he's not there, this team does not work. And I think that leads to those issues. And I think that becomes, that's why our Eastern Conference is kind of crazy, but it's in a good way. Like it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of talent there right now um, with everything that's going on. So you're saying that the East is better than the West. West is fraudulent. Well, this year, this year, year. I I don't know if anybody can really kind of put uh, argue otherwise. I mean, you know, you have teams like Denver who's missing Jamal Murray. You have Kawhi Leonard uh, out with the Clippers. You know, these are, these are teams that if they're fully healthy, I'm looking at them going like, yo, they're probably up there with the, the heavy hitters in the Western conference, you know, and, we talked about the Lakers struggling already. Um, you know, there's just a lot of teams that are just kind of middling as a whole in the Western Conference. Dallas, you know, they're Dallas. They haven't done anything. Um, and it's so everything that has gone with it, it's been a, a weird run in the West. But, yeah, the East is definitely better this year. Go ahead, Sandy. I, I kind of wanted to speak a little bit more on Chicago because, okay. you know, um, our lovely Damar is there flourishing and we always, uh, we love to see it, of course. Um, but Chicago, I still, it's a little bit confusing for me. You know, I, I did not think that the fit would would work as immediately as it has. Um, they just have seemed to have clicked um, in a way that I wasn't expecting. Um, they have an offensive rating that's like almost top 10. Their defensive rating is top five, which which that specifically surprises me. Um, how sustainable do you think this hot start from the Bulls is um, moving forward? Yeah, I, I, one, I think their defense is real. And I didn't think that was the case at the I didn't, going into the season. I, that was my question mark. But watching the way Alex Caruso has played for them, I think they've kind of taken it uh another notch, you know, and Lonzo ball has been great for them with everything that they're doing. I think, you know, we have still have questions, Mark, like, listen, you guys love DeMar DeRozan, not a great defender. We can all agree on that. I think. Yes, yes absolutely. Get, okay. Sure. Um, Begrudgingly. You know, so, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Zach Levine's better and, and Nikola Vucevic Vucevic is, is, is not a good, uh, 
defender. He's an okay guy, but not great. But you see what these other guys have done is made defense infectious. You know, when, when Caruso comes out there, it's pure chaos in terms of what he does to other teams' offenses. When uh, Lonzo Ball's out, out there as a point of attack guy, it's just solid, solid defense. And now you're seeing the other guys kind of put a little more effort into it. And it's, it's really interesting to watch. I think their defense is real. My concern with the Bulls, and this will get me in trouble with you guys. So um, I don't know if DeMar can keep this up. And it's, and it's not that he hasn't, he's done this before. Like he's a hell of a ball player, right? Like we've seen him in Toronto do it as the lead guy and things like that. He's shooting like almost career highs, you know, in, well, not almost career highs. I apologize, but you know, 48% from the field is something like that. So that's, that's pretty solid, you know, 33% from three. I don't fully buy it. I, I, I think he's a below 30% three point shooter in general, you know, his, uh, effective field goal percentage at 51.2%, a little bit high for him. Generally, it's kind of, you know, high 40s. And I think that's one of those things where I can kind of see that slowly kind of s- slow down a bit. He's off to a great start, hot, hot start. But, you know, that will be my question. If he, he can continue to do that, they're going to be a top three team in the East. So I'm, I'm interested um, in terms of when we get to the playoffs, how do you think the Bulls are going to look with a DeMar that, Frankly, with the Raptors, he was a great regular season player. You know, we were a a 50-win team consistently for years here with DeMar and the DeMar-Kyle duo, right? So I think for me personally, when I watch this team, I get a lot of PTSD because I'm just like, (laughs) you know what? They're really good. What is that going to look like um, in the playoffs? Will DeMar be able to lead this team in the playoffs and is the expectation that he leads or is it Levine that's going to have to lead and have DeMar kind of hit clutch shots when he's needed to hit clutch shots? Like how is that dynamic going to work come playoff time? It gets, it gets really interesting because when you actually look at the Bulls roster, there's not a lot of playoff experience on that roster, right? DeMar DeRozan been in the playoffs, been in big games all the way up to the conference finals. Obviously Alex Caruso has won an NBA championship you know, so he he kind of has that understanding. After that, it kind of starts to get a little bit iffy, right? Like Zach Levine's never been to the playoffs. Nikola Vucevic has never been to the playoffs. Like you have guys there that are trying to figure out how do we get to the next step? I don't, uh, Lonzo Ball's never been to the playoffs. Like you have a lot of guys where it gets a little more difficult kind of making their run for the first time in the playoffs. Now, granted, Last season, I would have said the same thing about Atlanta at the start of the season, and they went all the way to the conference finals. So, you know, it's maybe I overvalue experience in that sense. But I think come playoff time, it's just going to be, you know, them leaning on DeMar, which is kind of what they're doing now in the regular season in crunch time. It's DeMar that's making plays. You know, Levine's in there and doing his thing. But it's been uh, DeMar who's kind of been the guy in crunch time that has made and stepped up for them. And I think that'll probably be, what they go with throughout the, the playoffs. But, you know, we're also a long ways away from there. Right. I'm kind of interested, actually, to like to touch on something, Mo, you said, and Sandy, that what you mentioned about that duo of Damar and Lowry, I don't actually think we've ever seen Damar be the guy solo until this season. You know, like that's what they're going to kind of ask him to be. Like in Toronto, it was a duo. I think in San Antonio, he kind of fit necessarily had to fit within that system. And I think the bulls brought him on really wanting him to like be the number one guy, like be the team leader. So I don't know that we actually have anything to compare it to. Like, I think definitely he has had better run in the regular season than in the playoffs in his career, but I am kind of curious, like, and I don't, I mean this in like mostly a positive, like curious in a good way. And and hopefully I don't want to see, like, I know Mo, you said, you're not sure he can keep it up. I'm curious to see that he can keep it up almost in like this different kind of leadership sense with the team. I mean, the energy around them is so good, but obviously like an NBA season is really long for any team, let alone a team that's kind of newly formed, newly put together is sort of working on their chemistry as they go. So that's neither here nor there. It was just kind of like came to mind. I was like, Oh yeah, this is uh, DeRozan's first like team of his own. I mean, and, and he's the oldest guy on the team mm-hmm. at 32. Like he's, he is kind of the guy they look to, mm-hmm. you know, he's like the elder statesman to a degree. And it's weird saying 32 is old, but in <laughs> NBA years, it, it is. And I think that's kind of the, the way we're looking at it. So it is kind of, you bring up a great point, like 
when it was when he was in Toronto with Kyle. Kyle was kind of the, the leader of that squad, you know, and it was, you know, and, and Demar was just there. And and, and, and I don't mean, excuse me, because I know Raptors fans are going to. I think it was a duo. I think it was a duo. It was a duo. It was a duo. But like <laughs> Kyle was the leader, like he was yeah. the voice in the locker room. And I think that's the more the mantle Demar has this season with the Bulls that, than he's had anywhere else. The last coaching question I do want to ask you, um, because you had some good, I thought like you had really good criticisms of Nick Nurse uh, in that story for Bleacher Report of just in terms of like, he does have to get more creative uh, with his offense. Like the Raptors generally do need that right now. But this sense of like, because we're seeing it with Bud, I think now of like when a coach wins a title, how long is the kind of grace period in your mind? Because I think Nick had that. And then, you know, he had, they had like, I'd say like the, the season after the championship run was actually one of my favorite seasons until the, you know, until Thank the you. pandemic derailed right. everything. everything. Yeah. <laughs> Just because of like that team was so resilient. It was so much fun. There was still a lot of momentum left over from the title, even though guys were getting injured kind of left, right and center. It was just like next man up mentality. And that was a team that I thought I was like, oh shit, like they can make it again. Like, I don't know if they could have repeated they were going to probably get pretty far in the playoffs in my mind. Then we had Tampa that would have been hard for any coach to coach through. But to me, this is kind of now a really formative season for Nick nurse uh, in that the shine has worn off a little bit, you know, and he's, he's got a lot of young and kind of raw pieces. Um, but now bud who was just like harangued for years, <laughs> like fire right. bud, like even in the playoffs, Less that person who, no, it wasn't at the playoffs. It was at the parade. The person who had fire coach Bud sign in the crowd, a hero. Um, anyway, but he feels safe to me now for a couple of seasons. Yeah. And I think there's two things that are really interesting about those two guys that, that are big differences. One, Bud had had the same problems in Atlanta, you know, and, and mm-hmm. then, then went to Milwaukee. And then we kind of noticed the same issues continuing with him not willing to experiment as much. Nick Nurse, first year, wins a championship. Yeah, everybody's like, hey, we're just going to keep doing it now. It's, it's championships <laughs> in Toronto, left and right, with Nick Nurse, you know, coming out with his own logo on a hat. Like, you know, like, I don't know many coaches that have merch, um, you know, and those types of things. But it's, it's so there's a difference kind of in that we still didn't even know who Nick Nurse was even after they won the championship. Now, I, I think he's a defensive genius. I think when you watch things like the Golden State Warriors play a triangle two or a box in one, that comes from Nick Nurse doing it against them in the finals that they won in 2019, right? Like that's coaches. We all, they all steal from each other. It's just the way it goes. That's none of them are creative enough to come up with their own stuff. Somebody else does it. They take it. That's coaching and that's fine. And, 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 and that's the way it works. And I think my, my problems with Nick Nurse and really the, the, the Raptors over the past couple of seasons have just been, there's not a lot going on offensively. You know, and just to even make sure I, I watched over like 200 clips this morning of just their offense in the half court to see to make sure I wasn't really like, am I just being a jerk? Because that does happen. Um, Did you do that because you were doing the show with us? Well, I knew I was going <laughs> to do the show. You guys let me make sure I'm, I'm spot on with right. my analysis um, type wow. of deal. No, no, you guys would be surprised at how many times I just get bored and be like, let's find some film to watch because that's <laughs> all I do with my life. Um, but but there's just not much going on in the half court, not a lot of creativity. He'll run some flex. They run some really good dribble handoff stuff, but it's all basically, Hey, you guys have to go make a play. Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, you guys beat your, beat your matchups, you know, and if we get a switch, we'll attack the switch. And I think that's just kind of like for a guy we talk about as one of the best coaches, I'm just kind of surprised by how little creativity there is offensively. And we saw this with Brad Stevens. You know, the, the the wonder kid when he came out and we all loved him and he brought the flex back to the NBA and all of this stuff. And the team was solid defensively. Then a few, few years later, it's like, yo, they still haven't changed anything offensively, you know, and you're just looking at it. And I think that's what I look at when I watch Nick Nurse and, and the Raptors is just like, when are you going to do something interesting offensively? You know, you got a lot of interesting guys, but when are you going to coach basically? Mm-hmm. It's funny that you say that because we're going to uh, the the Raptors are going to be playing uh, the Warriors today. Mm. Uh, top offense, top defense, um, best passing team in the league. Uh, probably the deepest Warriors team since 2015, 2016. Right. 
Um, so we're pretty much expecting a loss at this point today, correct? <laughs> well, yes and no. I think you guys can give them problems with just your ability to switch because that's really where they attack teams is constantly getting switches. Like if you go watch that their game against Brooklyn where they demolished Brooklyn, they were going after Blake Griffin every time he was on the court, you know, and anytime there was a matchup they'd like, they would go at it. This is going to be a little bit interesting tonight because every time they switch, it's going to be, okay, you're going to switch from OG Ananobi to Scotty Barnes or to Pascal Siakam, like solid defensive players, long arms, same kind of players in the sense of the same uh type of player in length and things like that going to make it a little bit more interesting and challenging for them. I mean, I hate to say it too, though, like at a certain point though, like their offense is going to hit another gear that the Raptors offense just doesn't have, mm-hmm. you, you know? And I think that's kind of the concern when it comes to this game for Raptors fans in terms of what you got to watch out for. But I mean, it wouldn't shock me. It really wouldn't shock me if Toronto comes out with a win just because, you know, that they can really bother the Warriors defensively. It's going to sting when Curry uses that box and one against Nurse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Looks right at him, makes eye contact. <laughs> Listen, he brought it in. He should know how to break it. He should. Yeah. He should. <laughs> no, you raised some really good points just about the offense because for Nurse, I think, you know, and we're, we're always wary, like we're obviously Raptors fans, but we try not to be so Raptors centric on the podcast. But I will say Nurse does have just like a full roster of really interesting, rangy, athletic, super energetic young players. Like it's not that he doesn't kind of have the firepower, like the offensive firepower, right? It's just understanding where to put it all. It doesn't seem like he's kind of worked that part out yet. And my criticism of Nick Nurse that I don't necessarily like is when there's frustration uh, about the offensive like caliber of the team at any given moment. And then guys kind of get thrown under the bus. Whereas like, I'm kind of like, I don't know that it's, (laughs) I don't know that we're there right now that you can kind of call out guys individually anymore. Yeah. And the one, the one I'll I'll give him is, and this will, this will probably get me booted from the podcast or Raptors fans chasing me. Um, I don't think Pascal Siakam's like a number one. And I think that's the one thing you're missing on the roster. Like I love Fred Van Vliet. Very tough for a guy his size to kind of be the number one option. Pascal, for me, like I've been waiting. I've been waiting since Kawhi left, and I just haven't really seen it where I felt like, okay, he can be a number one guy and carry an offense, you know, and that's there's nobody on the roster right now that can do that. And I think that's the one caveat Nurse has in terms of like, well, like who who's supposed to be the go-to guy? Like you're going to run some screen action to try to get Van Vliet a three or, or, or a switch onto a big. You know, you're going to try to get Siakam one-on-one in the post. And then, you know, the entire league knows what he's going to do. He's spinning, you know, just get ready for the spin and be ready on top of that. And I think that's going to be the, the, that's the problem for the Raptors kind of construction wise, but over that, I think they're, they're still, uh, um, he could still do a few more things offensively to just like, just be interesting, try something different. That brings us to the weekly dish where we break down uh, something topical in the news of the NBA this week. And for us, it's kind of this weekly dish, I think, is a little bit of an overlap from last week, week before, uh, but with something that's going on this week as well, which is um, the leniency shown to uh, rich white men in the (laughs) NBA. I wanted to talk a little bit about first the Robert Sarver situation with the Suns, which is ongoing. It seems like it's going to be ongoing till like, I mean, probably for the whole of this season while an investigation happens. Uh, And then the criticisms of Luke Walton um, coaching the pretty losing Sacramento Kings team. But as of today, recording this on Sunday, Luke Walton was fired, Um, which to me, (laughs) long overdue. But see you later, Luke. So why I wanted to talk about this first was just first to get like both of your thoughts on what do you think this kind of says about the climate of things within the league? And then I think go from there to talk about the wider impacts and like almost like the positives that we might glean from changes like this. Well, I think we're seeing a lot of parallels between what's going on just in the world and then the NBA. And I think it's, you when you look at it in terms of the leniency, look at the majority of ownership, right? It's, it's, I believe it's, it's one, 
African-American and Michael Jordan. You guys correct me if I'm wrong, because like I, I definitely will mess up somewhere here along the way. Um, we have a minority owner in uh, Sacramento. We have a Asian owner in Brooklyn. And then after that, it's all white. And then, you know, and, and we have three women uh, in New Orleans, Portland and the Lakers. So I think it's 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 not at all a surprise, you know, in terms of the leniency there. And it's just it, it's you want to see more diversity in general across at, at every level in in sports, you know, and, and across genders as well. And I think it's a it's it's almost just a sign of our times, you know, in terms of what we're seeing. I mean, hopefully we'll get more and, and get more opportunities for minorities and for women to kind of jump in there and, and, and take ownership. But like the Robert Sarver thing, it's, it's tough. Cause I just don't think much is going to happen because, you know, reading the story and, and the reporting that Baxter Holmes had, there was no smoking gun. There was no, like, like it's, it's a lot of, you know, his word versus somebody else's word. And, and it's a lot of words against him, by the way, a lot of people's 70 interviews and things yeah, it's like a lot that. Of, a lot of smoking guns. In my you, you mind. Know, well, <laughs> well, it's, it's hard though. You know, like I was with the Clippers when Sterling, um, when the whole Sterling scandal happened, there was video, you know, um, John Gruden got fired. There was an email. It's they're irrefutable. There's an email. It says your name, you wrote this you know, and, and along those lines. So it, it's, it's a lot harder with Sarver. I, yeah, I'm not at all shocked by it with, with Sarver. Um, but it's, it's just like, I don't know if that will change much in the, in the course of things. And then in terms of coaches, you know, again, it just comes down to who's, who are making the decisions, you know, uh, first off, Luke Walton deserved to be fired at the end of last season. You know, I was surprised he got a second, uh, third season with that. And, you know, we'll, we'll see, I can't imagine he's going to get another coaching job after that, but there sometimes tends to be a little more patience, you know, in, in, in those scenarios, like, you know, there wasn't a lot of patience for David Fisdale in, in, in Memphis and they went to the playoffs. And then the next year they struggled him and Marcus all get into it. And then he ends up getting fired. He goes to New York and doesn't last long in New York. And let's just be honest, the Knicks, it's a whole dumpster fire you know, up until Leon Rose took over, but it was a disaster zone to begin with, with, with everything there. Um, you, you know, and now he's back to being an assistant with the Lakers. I think it's, it's challenging there, but I think in terms of coaching, we're seeing a little bit better, you know, improvements along the way. We're not where we need to be. It's not positive. We need a lot more GMs. We need a lot more, you know, uh, team presidents and, and, and hopefully eventually owners, but it's, it's, you know, along those ranks, we're slowly getting there. I think we're not far from having our first female head coach, you know, somewhere in the next year or two, I would imagine that's going to probably happen. Um, we're, we're, we're getting close on these things. It's just going to take time. And the problem is none of us are patient anymore. Right. And, and the reason why we're not, because it's been a long time where it hasn't changed. And now we're like, no, we want it now. And, and, and I think we're slowly kind of getting there. Um, you know, we've, Luke Walton's gone. I think it's either going to be Doug Christie or Alvin Gentry taking over for him. They haven't formally announced it, but whoever does, that's another African-American coaching, you know, a, a team, at least I know it's an interim basis, but there's still, you know, it's a change. And I think we're just slowly kind of working our way through it. I think the Sarver thing is interesting to me because the timing of it to me speaks more that they, that ownership group just kind of wanted to oust Sarver. Uh, but you know, in, if you want to talk about maybe less evil, I mean, I can't think of like a good billionaire or millionaire, but like, if you want to think of like less evil ownership groups, potentially for the NBA to move into, maybe it makes sense to have a more like democratic base where you split your ownership group up to a bunch of different people, instead of just like one person who's never really had to take any kind of accountability uh, in their life. Because that's the thing that, you know, yes, you're right there was no smoking gun in the sense there was no email or video, but like 70 people is a lot of people to come forward and speak out about one guy. And I mean, but the thing to me that ran through all of those um, statements is just the fact that there's no remorse whatsoever on Sarver's part. And to me, that just speaks of someone who has just used to like never having to kind of account for themselves, like never necessarily having to apologize, always being in a position of power where they've been able to wield that power and decide, you know, who's in the room with them. So, I mean, if that could lead to a silver lining in terms of ownership stakes, I'm for that. I don't think that's going to happen, but it would be nice. <laughs> yes. I, 
I'm available too if they want to go ahead and just give me a slice. I'm around, guys. You know, I, I, you might need a Muhammad anytime. Like I'm ready to roll. Looking to be the token. If it pays, <laughs> I feel you. Um. Yeah. No. I. For me personally, like I agree with you, Katie. I think with the saver thing, it was more so um, having they're they're just tired of having him there and it was just the timing of it um I, I'm pretty sure he's been this way for years um but it's just it was the convenience of of trying to get him out at this particular time um that had the story come out the way that it did I don't necessarily think there's much much is going to change it's very clear nepotism um exists in the NBA specifically when it comes to upper management and it comes to um coaching and there is a little bit of white privilege there. You know, you have a Luke Walton who has been horrible in every position that he's been in um, as head coach. And he's consistently gotten jobs or he's consistently been able to have an opportunity to, to fix the issues. Um, and he hasn't been able to do it. And I don't understand why he keeps getting the opportunity to get these head jobs when there are coaches who deserve to be in these positions and have not been able to to get into these positions, right? Um, so I'm I'm happy that the Raptors were the the nail in the proverbial coffin. Puking all over the floor. Yeah, it was a bad night for for Luke Walton. Um, you know, because I I said it I, I said it on Twitter. I was like, if the Raptors are beating your ass like this, beating your team like this, something needs to, something needs to change because our half court offense is trash. So if we're <laughs> able to whoop your ass like this, you either need to move the team or somebody needs to get fired. And as we see someone, someone needed to get fired and, and did. So I'm, I'm happy that we could uh, do that for the NBA community. It was time to get Luke Walton out. I mean, if you want to talk about privilege too, like Luke Walton was in the, like being investigated for sexual assault when he got the job with the Kings. Do you know what I mean? Like you go like, that was just, that was in play. And they were like, eh, we like, we want our guy, you know, but, and we've seen teams do this, right? Like, yeah. like the Blazers did this with Chauncey Billups. The Mavs have done this with Jason Kidd. They're like, oh, but we want this guy. So like, we're willing to uh, overlook. Yeah. Overlook. Turn a blind eye outright. Do our own quote uh, investigation. Investigation. <laughs> Exactly. I would I would say though it is important to note that this front office wasn't the one that hired Luke Walton. That is a right? good point. Monty yeah. McNor- it, yeah. it, it was a different. So when that situation broke, it may would have been different with this front office. I don't know. It may not have been. You know, because we've seen it with the league in general. Like we saw the stuff with the when Mark Cuban and and the Mavs were being investigated for sexual harassment issues within their business side and things like that. Really, nothing happened. It was a ten million dollar finance he was suspended a, a a game, you know, like the NBA needed to come down harder on him in that instance. And that's also why I'm very pessimistic about anything really lasting happening to Sarver in that instance, because I don't feel like there's, there was enough there. Like if, the, if his ownership group wanted to outs him, like this was one of those instances, like you better not miss when you take the shot at the King. And I feel like they kind of missed. Like they, they, they just didn't have enough, you know, and it, it was like, you know, it's along those lines. And I think it's, it, it becomes that. And, it, and then with the coaching situation, it just, I mean, we've had so many retreads in the league. We're actually gotten better at it though. I would say over the last two or three years with it, you look at uh, Willie Green, who we talked about not too long ago, uh, Jamal Mosley, uh, Wes Unsell Jr. All getting their first opportunities and, and, and our African-Americans. Um, we have Steven Silas the year before with Houston, uh, Bernie Bickerstaff in Cleveland. Like there's, there's progress in at least different names being mentioned, you know, like when I was first kind of in the league and I'm going to feel bad because I'm throwing his name out here, but you know, Mike Dunleavy was constantly senior, by the way, was constantly mentioned for jobs all the time. Right. And we have, we have coaches who've been head coaches at like six different spots. And I'm like, damn dog, you got six different chances to coach an NBA team. <laughs> you weren't good after the first four, but the fifth right. team said you're going to change this or the <laughs> sixth team. Like there are, there are coaches. And, and I feel like that's going away. Luke Walton had two chances as a head coach, high profile chance with the Lakers. And then 
obviously with Sacramento, which not as high profile as the Lakers, but <laughs> I don't, I don't think he'll get a chance as a head coach again, you know? And I think, you know, or at least not for a long time, like you'll have to go rehab and be an assistant for a while. Um, kind of the way Jason Kidd had to sort of rehab him, rehab him, his name a little bit. And it's kind of what we're seeing with Fisdale. So I think we're getting a little bit away from the retreads constantly and looking at some of the the new names. And I, I always, I'm always happy when there's a new name in the, uh, in the head coaching ranks. And that kind of leads to my next question because Mo, I don't correct me if I'm wrong, but do you watch, like, do you watch soccer? I think you I do. do yes. I do, but I'm a yeah. very casual fan. And it's only because one of the best soccer players in the world is named Mo. I got to support all Mo's. So <laughs> I Mo feel that. He's guy. a good dude. He's a good so, dude too. So yeah. like, yeah, so I'm just, so, so basically I'm a Liverpool fan, but if Mo Salah goes somewhere else, I'm going wherever going he goes. With him. Yeah. No you got your priorities straight. Well, then you'll know, you'll know that like that basically, because you're basically on the same level of fandom as I am, but you know, in the premier league and in soccer in general, coaches get fired a lot, but coaches are getting fired. I feel like uh, every other week, you know, the team is performing badly. Coach gets fired. And this was what I wanted to talk about when we are mentioned earlier about this, like small kind of like honestly puddle sized NBA coaching pool, which is so insular. And, you know, people are constantly just like getting job opportunities over and over and over again, the same people, I should say, not new people. So I was wondering if you think the NBA could ever get to a point where like coaches are being as recklessly fired and let go <laughs> as they are in the premier league and in soccer, because weirdly it would force, uh, it would force turnover and it might actually inject some new faces into that coaching pool. You know, like I, I think there, the NBA maybe likes to rely on stability more than, you know, certain soccer leagues do. Um, but I think like in terms of like money, like what players kind of get paid and like the money that, you know, these organizations take in, it's not that far off. So I know it can't just be a money thing, but I was curious uh, about your thoughts on that. If you think that could be potentially good for the league, a change like that happening. It it, it could be good for the league, but I, the reasons why I don't think it would happen. And this is, this is probably more, I don't know the premier league management side in terms of in the NBA, when you get fired as a coach, if you have two years left on your deal, you're getting those, you're getting paid for those two years. Those, all the coaches in the premier league are getting paid as well. Still, still getting yeah. paid as well. Okay. So then this is going to totally go against what I just said. Then. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I, I think in the NBA, that's always been a, a reason why some teams don't fire their coach. You know, uh, I've actually heard that's why they, the Kings weren't so quick to fire Luke Walton because they were already paying two other coaches, you know, cause they fired, uh, Dave Yeager who, uh, you know, a year and a half into his contract and we're still paying out his contract and things like that. So I think they're like, listen, man, the, the ownership group's like, we're not paying three coaches, two of them not to coach, you know, like we'll, we'll do it once, once Jaeger's money's cleared, had no problem firing Luke, bring in the next guy. And I think that's, that's kind of why it is, I think in, in that sense on the, uh, NBA side, but of course you just corrected me and told me that the managers <laughs> on, maybe there's just a, I mean, it is, there is the owners in those other countries in the premier league also are like a whole nother level that's true than, yeah, than, than, yeah. Than, than we are here in the States. And I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're just slower. I think continuity matters, stability, all of those things in the, the NBA and not as even, even the NFL does not have as crazy fan bases as the premier league teams do. Right. right. Like those, they will, they will literally just protest outside yeah. and hunt you down. Like they will come after you in ways where it's just like, wow. Like if we did that here, like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> like this just ramped up to 11. I don't know what the hell to do. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I, it's, I don't want to say I'm for it because I, I sometimes I'm like, how are you going to fire your coach after like three weeks? You know, like what more could they have potentially done when you look at injuries and just like poor, you know, poor playing, you know, whatever, just like a bad matchup, something like that. I get that. So I'm not saying like, let's inject uh British style chaos uh, into the NBA, <laughs> but I am always <laughs> curious as to how like you can widen that pool because to me, like that's one of the most depressing things. And it's just like the same names over and over every season. And like you said, someone will coach, like six teams and not have like a winning record 
you know, like Jason Kidd is a prime example of this. He's not a good coach, but like, it seems like every summer there are teams that are betting over backwards and they're like, we need this guy. He's going to help us. And, and, and I think we're seeing, but I think we're also seeing it a little bit more because we're seeing more names in the interviews that don't normally get the interviews, you know? And I think, so we're, we're on our way to that. I actually really do think the, the time of the retreads are, are, are really coming to an end. And listen, if, if the Mavs aren't successful under Jason Kidd, I honestly think that's it. He's not going to be an NBA head coach anymore. He's not going to get those chances for those interviews. And I'm with you. That two was enough. I didn't need a third to find out about it, you know? Um, and I think we're going to, and we're going to start to see that, but I think we're seeing also some more names. Like think about Taylor Jenkins kind of coming out of the, the G league and then being an assistant in Atlanta and, and Milwaukee and then getting the job in Memphis. And although their defense has gone to complete crap this season, they still have had a pretty solid run so far. I think James Borrego, another guy um, he hired me in San Antonio, but having a really nice run in, in Charlotte, I think you're, we're, we're seeing more and more names that we're just not used to. And I, and I think we're going to see it with the next job openings that happen. Obviously we have one with Sacramento. There'll be a few more uh, by the end of the season because nobody's ever just going to be truly happy where the team's at. And, and from that, I think we'll start to see more names. And I think eventually we're going to have our first female coach. I think that's going to be a, a, a big moment. I don't think we're far from that. Obviously Becky Hammond's the, the big name for that. But, you know, I, I also want to push teams to, yo, go find other candidates to interview. It's on you. Like that's the end of it, you know? And, and, you know, I, I, this, I hope this sounds the way it sounds in my head. Okay. I don't care if Becky Hammond gets the, the first job as an NBA head coach or not. I want there to be more than one woman interviewing for these jobs. Yes. Thank you. It doesn't yeah. have to be just, just yeah. one, right? Yeah. Like, it's just like, okay, we interviewed our woman. We're good. You know, right. it's, it's like, no, like, let's have it. You know, uh, I, I don't think she's interested. I think she has said it before, but Don Staley at Rutgers was always a, a, a name that popped in my head. Um, you know, uh, when Diana Taurasi retires, if she wants to go into coaching, I want to see her get opportunity. Like there's, there's, there's so many more and, and there's names I'm probably completely forgetting, but there's so many more that are out there. We don't, it doesn't have to be just the one interview, you know, uh, you know, Sandy was joking, calling me like, oh, I'd be the token guy. Right. Like, like we don't need the token interview. We don't need the token. Right. Yeah. We don't, we no. don't need it. And there's plenty of talent there across the board. And I think we're seeing it. And I think teams are getting a little smarter looking at the G league and seeing how teams are using their, their G leagues and looking at those coaches and stuff like that. So I think we're getting, we're, we're, we're getting there. It's never as quick as we want. It's never the time frame that we want it to happen, but I think we're, we're slowly getting there. The Becky Hammond thing's a good point because I think the Blazers really showed how that's a false flag at this point, you know, this summer, I mean, they're like, we're going to interview, we interviewed Becky Hammond. It's like, you're just using the name at that point. I mean, it's it, just it, signaling. It, the worst, actually, the most egregious out of all of them was when the Milwaukee Bucks were looking for a new GM and they mm -hmm. interviewed Becky Hammond, who wasn't even trying. Yeah, to right. Yeah. Like Come she was on, trying man. to coach. Yeah. I was like, I go, how does nobody see this? This is stunt. Like, what are we doing? You know, and 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 and, and it's like it was be one thing if she was like, no, I want to be in the front office. She was trying to coach. I didn't understand it. I was so and everybody was like, look at how great the like, no, it's a stunt. You know, like if you're gonna do it, have real intentions. That's all I want. And 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 you can interview more than one. It's 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 not gonna be uh uh a, a, a big deal. So, um, you know, so that's, that's really what, what I'm hoping for. Like I hope next season in the coaching carousel, I hope it's more than just one woman interviewing for jobs. Me too. Sandy, do you have any, uh, thing you want to add in terms of like creative ways to get more people in this coaching pool? <laughs> I, 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 you know, I don't know the intricacies of, of hiring coaches. All I could say is that they, they need to start being more creative with where they look. Um, you have people like uh, Nick Nurse, um, <laughs> who's coached British League and God knows where else, right? <clears throat> and I think they need to be more conscious of like looking maybe at, you know, the European League um, and, and, uh, and, other, and other places to kind of find coaches um, to implement or, or to, to plug in here um, who are looking for those chances and, and maybe... Um, don't have the, the same connections that the same five coaches that keep getting recycled in the NBA have, right? Um, and I think 
it would just make for a more interesting game, right? Like at, at some point, you know, once you've seen a coach a couple times with different teams, you know what their strengths and weaknesses are, you know what they're going to bring and what they're not going to bring. Um, and it becomes less interesting, you know, when you plug in a coach and you're like, okay, well, he's an offensive, um, um, you know, offensive coach or offensive minded coach or a defensive minded coach, you know, what they're going to bring in might not be the greatest fit for a particular team, but, you know, you've plugged them in there because, you know, you only have five coaches that you're, you're picking from. Um, I, I, for me, it's just like, let's just make it more interesting, right? Get a, a Nick Nurse type coach that's coached everywhere and, you know, got his, got his, uh, his chance in the G League and um, worked his way up and ended up winning a championship, you know, it makes for more interesting stories at the end of the day too. Um, and yeah, let's get some women in there. It's, and let's stop using Becky as like the token. Like yeah. it's the only I know she's one. Tired. She's the I know only she, one. She's, she's the only yeah, one that she can doesn't coach. want this. She's tired. Yeah. She's tired. It's like just hire her or like let it go. Like let's stop doing this. Like it's like teasing almost, you know. And you have her sitting there waiting for an opportunity while you have Luke Welton friggin gets to coach the fucking Lakers. Sorry, I didn't mean to swear. Gets to coach the Lakers and then come coach the Kings and you know, he gets his opportunities and you have Becky just sitting there waiting for, for a chance. So um, yeah, no, I, I don't know what they can do to mix things up, but I know that they have to mix things up or it's not going to get any better. We're just going to be stuck in the same position. I mean, I just like a think out of the box. Yeah. Just try something a little bit. If you're, if you've been a crappy team for the past 10 <laughs> years, hiring a retread coach is just doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Think right. out of the box. Try something different. You know, go go another way. Just try it. You know what? Even if the results are the same, odds are you were going to get there anyway. You can't you're, get worse. Yeah. You're, you're a poorly you run organization. Can't get then. worse for the Kings. <laughs> my 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 bigger thing. I've said this before. This is a little bit of a, this is definitely one of Mo's wild ideas. I would love to see if we could make ownership a license, like a franchise license, and have a board. And after every 10 years, the, the board meets to decide if this ownership group gets to renew their license for the next 10 years and, and whatnot. Like it's 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 along those lines of like, all right, let's put the pressure on them. You like this? You, it, it'll never happen in our in our system and the way things are set up. Um, but it would be it, it's just an idea, I would think, that would make it where it's like, you know, we can't continue. The Kings have had 10 coaches since they last made the playoffs. 10 different coaches. And I don't know if that counts the next interim coach. So maybe it's 11, but if if it's 11, it's going to be 12, you know, when they hire the guy, whoever it's going to be. And it's like, you know, it's just like, yeah, that's a product of Mm -hmm. poor organization. And it hasn't been the same ownership group throughout that whole time. Right. It was the Maloofs. And then it went over to run a and his group. But like, we've seen it with some teams, Um, you know, like Sarver has been there forever. Incredible cheapskate. I mean, they the, the Suns should have won a championship under the Steve Nash uh, in the Steve Nash era, besides obviously the Robert Ory shove thing. But also like he was selling draft picks constantly. You know, one of those draft picks turned out to be Rajon Rondo. I think Luau Dang was another one. Like there's like these um, guys that could have fit and really helped in this team that he was like, no, 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 I'm trying to cut money. I'm going to sell the draft pick. And, and it's just poor ownership group. It's an organization thing. You know, Dolan with the Knicks forever. You know, at this point, you know, and and so I just I like my licenses idea. It's just never going to happen. But I think it's, it's a, a good, good way idea. To... It's a great idea. It's a good idea. Think outside the box. You heard it here first, folks. Licenses, ownership. That's, licenses. that's it for me, by the way. That's my last one for the year. So I'll see y'all 2020. My, my last <laughs> good idea for the year 2021. You know what? My you made it pretty idea. far. You almost made it good one. to the end of the year. <laughs> November, you know, December's a wash. It's fine. It's fine. Well, I would just say that, you know, all the other months, all the other ideas were bad. <laughs> <laughs> that feels like a pretty good place to leave the weekly dish. I feel like we really got into it. Um, so we're going to end the way that we always end each episode, which is our dime bag, uh, which is Twitter questions, email questions. We got some this week, but I'm actually glad we didn't get a ton because we ended up having a very in-depth discussion. So first from Twitter, um, from Rob Senta, our friend and supporter, 
Well, how many Raptors and former Raptors will make the all-star team this year? I think Teams. one Teams. for sure. So Teams. they'll talk it's... rookie, uh, international, uh, all-star game, skills <laughs> challenges. Let's include skills challenges. Oh, so you challenges. want you want you want me to include them in like the festivities? Yeah, I love um, the festivities. <laughs> oh, I I know for sure one will make the all-star team. I think DeRozan will make the all-star team. The former as a former Raptor, I'm not confident there's going to be a ra- current Raptor that will make a all-star team this year. Um, sorry guys. Do, you know, I, I haven't looked at Fred Van Vliet's three point numbers, but that might be a guy you could look at for the three point shootout type guy. Um, I want to see Scotty Barnes and well, Scotty Barnes is going to be in the rookie game for sure. Yeah. Um, you, you, you know, and I want to see him kind of do something in the skills competition. If it's that stupid dribble through obstacles thing or whatever. I don't even know what it's called. That's, the skills that's the competition usually, is the, not the skill. stupid, Mo. <laughs> Okay, no, it is, but it's 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 fine if you like it. It's just the like sprite for- skills challenge. How dare you? <laughs> I don't even like sprite, so I'm okay with that. Uh, <laughs> it's along those. That's the that's the one where I'm like, cool, I can go do something and then come back and, and, right. and for the dunk contest and the three point shootout. But um, I I still want to. He's going to be involved somehow. He's too much. Of, he's too fun of a rookie. And yeah. that stuff, and and maybe OG Ananobi's in in one of those things, or, or or Pascal Siakam in the skills challenge. Um, but I think that's probably it. Oh, so Has Ben skills? Oh, oh, All-Star oh. Not? I thought Ben might get an All Star starting. Yeah. I I you know what? It's just the East <clears throat> is too good. Like it's it's hard too. Like it's listen, the starters are voted in by the fans with some player vote in 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 that, and then the. The reserves. It's so basically, we're, he's not going to be voted in as a starter, right? We're pretty, yeah, right. Yeah. So, so now we're talking about seven spots amongst the rest of the East, and it's going to get pretty tough. And I think that's why it'll, it'll be hard for him to 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 make it unless he's on like unless he's Fred Van Vliet versus the Bucks from 2019, like yeah. the rest of the way through. I, I I just don't see it happening. Oh, I don't know if you know this, but um, Pascal Siakam's nickname for himself, which has never really caught on, is P Skills. Uh, that's a terrible nickname i know it is but he should be in the skills challenge just by virtue of that just because it's p skills yeah (laughs) p skills on the skills challenge yeah also just another thing i hate when dudes give themselves their own nickname oh yeah you can't it defeats the purpose of nicknames no yeah um and then this is more of a comment than a question but i am a and maybe i don't actually know what it's referring to but i'm supposed to hold you accountable for calling raptors fans crazy even though it is true. When did you do this? <laughs> I'm sure I've done it several times. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, uh, I know um, it's not a secret, <laughs> you know, but no, but that's fandom, yeah. you know, like that's the thing. Like I'm in LA Laker fans are absolutely absurd. You know, it's, They're it's, wild. it's yeah. in, in, in that sense, you know, there's every fan base is crazy to a degree. Being a fan is short for being a fanatic. Fanatic is not okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're, 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 you're out of control with some of these things, but I think it's, um, I love the passion of the fan base, but you know, as again, like I say, I, I just tell you my, my honest and truthful opinion, whether somebody's going to like it or not, not something I'm going to worry about, which then is going to make people angry. And then if you just run in and if you try to blow up my mentions, I'm just going to walk away and say, y'all are crazy. <laughs> That's a very healthy approach. Mel. <laughs> I, know, I got a really cute out. dog to play with. Like I don't, I don't it's not, have like, a life, not, right? <laughs> <laughs> like if, if, if it's Twitter, you know, um, I, I, I enraged the Oklahoma city fans a few weeks ago. Um, and you know, and, and, and I had people in my mentions, I said, cool, dude, the mute button's an amazing feature. <laughs> Boom. And I never have to hear from you again, scream into the void. And I hope they're <laughs> continuing to tweet at me because they're mute and I'll never see it. And I want to know I own their, their, this, part of their uh little rent space in their in their brain you know but like i want to know i own that but i don't care enough and so it's like you know i'm if i piss off every fan base at one point i've done my job because then i've been honest right fantastic um on that note uh, i'm taking up the bread space of people's brain mo is there anything that you'd like to plug <laughs> oh, i got a lot guys sorry uh <laughs> obviously i write for bleacher report just read all that stuff podcast on the athletic i'm on nerd or she i rotate in and out on basket buds and daily the daily ding which is a, a bunch of different group of people speaking on 
the games afterwards, basically. I should have found a better way to say that. But again, you know, shocking. I'm a writer. It's shocking that I couldn't find the words. Um, I also every Tuesday put out these videos, one more thing videos where I focus on one topic of basketball and just kind of really kind of drill down real quick two minute video. And I'm doing stuff on Twitch now, which is pretty cool. Uh, Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. I'm just going to go through and break down games and stuff like that and come through on Twitch. It's always a good time. Fantastic. You're a busy guy. So we appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Oh, no, I've been excited. I've been waiting for my day on dishes. I thought I might have screwed up by calling Raptors fans crazy. I said, oh, wow, they're never going to let me on this show. I've been waiting. Everybody calls us crazy. That's not the reason why we wouldn't put you on the pod. Oh, but man. we really appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming on. Like, you've been a great guest. And, yes, wonderful uh, guest. Hopefully you want to come back. We haven't scared you off. Or you haven't scared me at all. Good. <laughs> it's been fun. Good. Then we're going to have to have you back. <laughs> Looking forward to it. And thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Dishes and Dime, brought to you by Basketball News. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>